sometimes. The best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 271. Yes, I know it's been a minute or two since releasing a fresh episode here at the back of the range. So apologies for not keeping up lately, but it has been a very busy and crazy month for me. I was at the Women's Western Am, then off to the Western Amateur, and finally the U.S. Amateur at Ridgewood and Arcola. But I'm home, I'm rested, and the fall season of college golf is about to get going again in a couple weeks. So you guessed it, I'll be back out on the road covering the best college golfers in the country. Just a few exciting housekeeping items to share with you before getting into my conversation with Max Moldovan from the Ohio State University. I'm very excited to announce that Imperial Sports is now an official partner of the Back of the Range. I don't know anyone that doesn't own a hat made by Imperial. Trucker hats, rope hats, and those high crown tour visors that everyone rocks, yep, those are made by Imperial also. Well, now Imperial has created the Back of the Range collection that can be found at imperialsports.com. Multiple colors, sizes, styles, hats, shirts, visors, it's all there. You order it from their website and they ship it right to your door. It really can't be simpler than that. You'll still get hoodies and other items from the Back of the Range's merch store, but this gives you another way to support the Back of the Range, also gives you more variety when you're shopping for merch. So go to thebackoftherange.com. You'll see the link to our new collection on the Imperial website. It's that easy. And thank you very much to the great people at Imperial for supporting the Back of the Range. As I mentioned, I just got back from the Western and USAM, the two granddaddies of amateur golf. A familiar face and previous guest on the back of the range, Austin Greaser, was able to capture the Western this year after falling to the eventual champion, Michael Thorbjornson, in the semis last year. Greaser will return at some point to the back of the range for another conversation later this fall. We have a lot to discuss since his run to the finals at last year's USAM. All he's done lately is play in the Masters, play in the U.S. Open, win the Western, and he's on his way to Paris as a member of the World Amateur Team, along with Michael Thorbjornsson and Gordon Sargent. So they're on their way to Paris to represent the United States. So we will get to Austin Greaser later this fall as his world returns to some level of normalcy. As for the U.S. Amateur at Ridgewood and Arcola, well, First and foremost, congrats to Sam Bennett from Texas A&M on the victory and his tremendous performance the entire week. His draw in the match play portion of the U.S. Amateur was one of the toughest that anyone can remember. He defeated Nick Gabrelsic, Fred Biondi, David Pouge, Stuart Hagestad, Dylan Minetti, and then Ben Carr in the finals. The average World Amateur Golf ranking of those six opponents is 19. Remarkable performance, and Ben Carr, man, fifth-year senior from Georgia Southern, just a dream week. He is a huge fan of the back of the range. I could not be happier for him and the run that he went on. He gets to play the Masters. He gets to play the U.S. Open. And, of course, Ben Carr will be joining me here very soon at the back of the range. My time at Ridgewood and Arcola was just, just so much fun. 
and emphasis on the word fun because the championship co-chairs from Ridgewood, Mike Policano and Kevin Shea, that is what they preached to everyone the entire week. And it showed their staff, the fans, the players, the families, USGA staff members, this championship had a relaxed vibe around it the entire week. It's, it's really hard to explain. I guess you had to have been there and I know many of you listening were there, but there were times that it almost felt like a member member, you know, with music playing outside the bar at night and people laughing and drinking and connecting with friends. And then during the day, you know, it felt like a U.S. amateur with players and caddies carrying looks of determination and frustration as they tried to navigate these challenging golf courses. And then as the championship match went to 18 after Cars Birdie on 17, I saw people running down the 18th hole to get into a better position for the exciting conclusion. That looked like a major. So kudos to the USGA, Ridgewood, Arcola. This was an absolute home run. And I will be joined very shortly here at the back of the range by the two gentlemen that kind of drove the ship on the Ridgewood side. Kevin Shea, Mike Policano, you do not want to miss this episode. We recorded this episode the morning of the semifinals to get their firsthand experience of what it's like to be championship co-chairs at a USGA event. So really looking forward to that episode. My guest on this episode, though, as stated earlier, Max Moldovan from The Ohio State University. We recorded this episode before the USAM. Max had a really nice run getting to the round of 16 before falling to the eventual semifinalist Dylan Minetti. Truth be told, when I first played Ridgewood in Arcola last month, I thought, okay, bombers that hit it straight will do great around here. Well, I, I was half right. <laughs> Max is not a bomber, but he sure does hit it straight a good percentage of the time. After an impressive junior career, Max took his talents to the Ohio State University and seemingly has led that squad ever since he stepped on campus. Throw in a Southern Amateur title and an appearance in this year's U.S. Open, well, he's putting together quite the resume. And I did not need to remind him about the Walker Cup next year at St. Andrews. He is well aware of what is at stake this year and what lies ahead next summer. So great chat with Max. Let's jump into it right now. Max, you're at the back of the range. How are you? Doing great, Ben. How about you? Well, uh, moving along here in this busy summer, getting ready for, uh, well, easily the two biggest uh events of the summer the the western am and uh the u.s amateur you are fortunate enough to be exempted to the u.s am and uh i guess returning to the western after being in the sweet 16 last year i know you've not been on the road for a couple weeks lucky you um but it's been a pretty busy summer we'll get into that how have the last two weeks been where you can actually put the feet up and and not exactly have to travel and and play a crazy schedule what's the last two weeks been like uh, it's been pretty good. Um, it's been really nice to, you know, have a little bit of downtime, um, get to spend a little bit more time with my parents, a little bit more time with my girlfriend, a little bit more time with my friends in the evenings and stuff, um, stuff that you don't really get to do as much when you're on the road. Um, and you got a tournament pretty much every day. So it's been good. Um, definitely needed it after a really busy month and a half. And another busy couple of weeks coming up here, starting with the Western. Now, obviously you're not completely putting the clubs away. You're, you're getting ready for, like I said, you're getting ready for two big tournaments really to close out the summer before you head back to Ohio state. And, um, 
so you're practicing, you're working on a few things, getting prepped, but what are maybe the, the, the guilty pleasures or the things that you get to do as a college student that like, these are the two weeks where you actually get to enjoy things away from the golf course. Like what are some of the things you're doing with your friends that maybe most people would think, well, I, I think Max just plays golf all the time, but no, I'm pretty sure you have other interests. Yeah. Um, I play a lot of card games with my friends. We play degenerate gambler. Love it. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. We play Texas Hold'em. We play a little bit of blackjack. We played some Euchre last night. Um, so yeah, I've got to do that a lot. We did it a lot, um, in high school, but haven't got to as much when we're all at college. So the summer when we each get a few weeks is a good time to do that. Um, one of my friends had his 21st birthday last week. So we went over to his house he had a bunch of family and friends over for a pool party that was a lot of fun thankfully it was during a time that i kind of had a little bit of a couple weeks off so uh yeah just getting to spend some more time with with friends and family and you know go to dinner and hang out and just do spend a lot more time um but yeah just just close loved ones that i don't get to spend quite as much on the road so you are a uh, you're an all American at, at Ohio State, currently ranked I think gosh 31, 32 in the world in in, in Wagger somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, that's your skill level. That's your kind of you know place right now in, in golf. As far as card playing, are are we at the same are we at the same level here? Are we a five handicap? I mean, what what give me you know if I sit across from Max Moldeman at the Texas Hold'em table. I mean, are you putting the fear of God into me or do I, I mean, how's that look? Um, I, I'm all right. You know, I have some, I have some good plays, but I also have some, some bad poker face plays too. Uh -huh. So I, I put myself around maybe like a two or three handicap probably at the Texas, at the Texas Hold'em table. Okay. I'll, I'll so. be at the, I'll be at the nickel slots if you need me. So you just, uh, that's, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, you, you enjoy yourself. I'm just going to over maybe the 510 table or something like that so yeah i want i want no party because you look i know you look all innocent but you just said that in a way of like yeah i'm gonna take all the money in your pocket so um <laughs> let's uh transition out of your uh, your your gambling prowess i don't want this episode to go completely off the rails but uniontown <laughs> ohio that's where you grew up this is a super small town now i ask all the guests to describe how they got into the game of golf and I'm thinking there's a chance, there's a chance that you could be the one that has the most similar start in the game, but it all depends on this question. Did you start because of Rolling Green's miniature golf in Uniontown? I wouldn't say I started because of it, but that definitely helped. I've spent right. I've spent a good amount of time there. All right. <laughs> See, this is this is kind of how I got into the game. My grandmother took me to a putt putt course when I would spend every summer in Kansas. And that was my start in the game. So you are the closest to my start. And well, I've become a podcaster and, you know, you're a division one golfer who played in the U S open. So really, I mean, but it started very, very similarly. So, um, and then that's where it ends obviously, because your, your father is, is a teaching pro at Ohio Prestwick. Um, so, so I guess talk to me about, obviously we, we figured out how you learn the game and how you really kind of, um, you know, became as good as you are to the point where you're playing, you know, division one college golf, but what were kind of the early years like where, you know, was it 
finding just you know your love for the game in a casual setting or did you start with lessons right away with with your father how how did that kind of start for you yeah um i'd say it was probably more of the casual thing okay um my mom played basketball for the university of akron so she was an athlete too my dad played golf at kent state um but my mom started playing golf um a lot when her and my dad met and, and she got pretty good. I think she had it down to like an eight handicap for a while. So I used to play with her after school in the fall and spring, pretty much, you know, several times a week, almost every day. So I played a lot of golf with her growing up. And then on the weekends when my dad wasn't busy teaching, I would get to play with him some too. And um, yeah, I just spent a lot of time on the, I, I loved spending time on the putting green when I was really, really young. I just loved seeing the ball go in the hole. Sure. Um, and, and then I, my dad got me into my first U.S. Kids Golf Tournament at seven. And I was able to win my first one and um, kind of just fell in love with competing, playing golf, not just playing it, but also, you know, playing in tournaments, having something to, to work for and win, win a trophy. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I got into it really early, and um, yeah, my dad and mom both played a huge role in that. How was maybe the junior golf process, or you know, experience? Not just, and I know we'll talk a little bit about you know AJGA and and Wyndham Cup. I mean, you had, you really checked off pretty much every single box in junior golf before going to Ohio State, but. You know, it's got to be, you know, most people think, okay, this is great. You know, he's, he's, his dad's a pro. He can get lessons anytime he wants and, you know, access to the best equipment. And, you know, there's really, you know, no limit to, to the instruction and the, uh, you know, experience that you can go through. But it is kind of different because all, all the other kids at the club, you know, their dad isn't the teaching pro. You're probably held to a different standard. What was, um, I mean, I'm sure there had to be some moments that like, you know, this is great, but it's also really a different dynamic than all the other kids at the club. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, my dad was, you know, very involved when I started getting into tournament golf. He used to caddy for me in like all my U.S. kids events when I was seven, eight, nine, ten years old. Um, so, yeah, he, you know, he was around. He knew he knew all the ins and outs of what my swing looked like and all that kind of stuff when I was playing my best golf. Um, and I think that was really key now, um, looking back cause he's been with me, you know, since I started playing tournament golf, like 15 or 12, 15 years now. So he knows, he knows what it looks like and what it feels like when I'm playing my best. And that's definitely a huge advantage. Um, but yeah, I'd say, you know, kind of like you said, it was a little bit of a different dynamic than, most kids at the club growing up. Um, cause you know, I always had my dad there and we worked on a lot of stuff. We went out and played and practiced and worked on different things in my game, but I'm thankful for all of it. Cause it, it really helped me get to where I'm at now. And, and I guess there's has to be some sort of a balance between, you know, your, your dad, the instructor, and then you're also your dad, the caddy. And then also, Hey, it'd be nice for him to like take both of those hats off every once in a while and just be a dad and be supportive. Yeah. So I guess that's an interesting wrinkle in your relationship because you know, there's times where, and also you have to not be the, the, the son, you have to not be the child. You have to be the player. So do you guys actually yeah. talk about that aspect or, you know, how did that become natural and understood when, 
you know, you both have to kind of be on the same page. At some point, you need him to be a caddy and an instructor. At other times, you don't. And then there's times where he needs you to kind of be open to the instruction and not being his kid, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think one thing that, I mean, we never really have talked about that, that aspect a, a whole lot. We've kind of just went with the flow. Um, but I think a huge thing for us was I played a ton of tournaments when I was really young and when he, when he caddied for me a lot. So we kind of just got used to it. Sure. I got, I got to a point where I had to, you know, swallow my pride a little bit and understand that, you know, I'm really young and my dad's played tournament golf for 30, 40 years. So <laughs> I, I need, I need to be open to listen to him, um, maybe more often than I wanted to sometimes. Um, but yeah, you know, him and I, we've, we've had a, a great relationship with him being my instructor. We've had our moments where we butt heads and disagree on stuff like everybody does, but, sure. um, I don't see I don't see any reason in the future for me to look elsewhere for a swing instructor just because like I've been saying he's he's been there since it started and and he's been there when it's been really really good so he knows better than you know any you know all the big name instructors you know they know their stuff but they don't necessarily know me as well as my dad does 100% so, 100% so. yeah that's a really that's a really good point um because the the message, if it's not communicated correctly and the recipient isn't open to it, it doesn't really matter what the message is. Exactly. You have this great junior career, 2019 AJGA Player of the Year. You've played on Junior Presence Cups and Wyndham Cups and, and just, like I said, checking off every single box. And being an Ohio guy, not a big shock that you're going to Ohio State. You know, the recruiting process is different for everyone there's times when you have coaches courting you from you know from super early ages and it seems like i mean gosh you're, you're there on a jack nicholas scholarship I, i'm when they present that to you i mean you really can't say no to that i mean was ohio state basically exactly where you wanted to go from the beginning or was kent state a, a school that was involved what what kind of led you to ohio state um yeah you know i was always a, a buckeye fan growing up being from ohio um, but it was, it wasn't really at any point, like my dream school, like this is where I definitely want to go, okay. you know, that kind of thing. But as I got older and spent more time around my friends and family who are huge Buckeye fans and had been down to the Columbus area a few times and played our high school state championship at the Scarlet course, then that's when it kind of grew on me. Um, so yeah, I definitely like took my options and, and took some visits um i told coach mosley um when i had my visit with him i told him you know I, I like what i see here i love it here but i would regret it if i didn't go out west or down south to just see see what everybody else has to offer sure and um i, I took a trip out west pretty soon after that ohio state visit and um you know I saw some schools I liked out there. I liked Oklahoma State. I liked UNLV. I liked Arizona State. Um, Texas A&M was pretty cool. But I just felt like, you know, I'm a I'm a home I'm a homegrown kid. Um, friends and family are a huge huge part of my life, and it's it was really important to me to be a two hour drive from home rather than like a four or five hour flight. Right. So um, so yeah, Ohio State 
as I got older and um, just had a, it, it's a really cool feeling to grow up in a state and then, you know, play a college sport for your state's like biggest school. So I'm really glad I decided on Ohio State and it's been it's been a lot of fun and um, really helpful for me so far. Well, yeah, I can imagine that that's got to be pretty cool coming to to really I mean it's just such an iconic university and then really the thing that I noticed is that you know a lot of players that I talk to there's that jump from junior golf to um, you know, to, to college golf. And I mean, we're talking right now during the U S junior amateur out of Bandon dunes. And I'm seeing all these names like, you know, Keaton bow and, uh, Nicholas Prieto and, and Caleb Surratt, you know, all these names of, of guys that are really, this is their last terrace, so to speak. And they're going to be making the jump into college golf. And yeah, they're, mm-hmm. they're lighting it up in junior golf, but you, you know, as well as, I mean, just about anyone else that, you know, once junior golf is done, um, nobody, nobody cares about that. It's, it's, it, that's done. Now you're into college. That's very true. <laughs> you're like, yeah, no one, no one cared about my junior president's cup appearance when I got to, uh, when I got to Columbus, but, but yeah, when you're, when you're in junior golf and you got your, you got the world on fire and you know, you're, you're killing it. And then you show up and, and there's, I mean, there's juniors, there's seniors on this team. There's grown men that are like, Oh, you're, you're the new kid. Cool. Um, how did, and you had a great freshman season, you led the team in in scoring average. How do you remember the things that helped you make the transition seamlessly? Not just, um, you know, I mean, you're you're obviously an OSU scholar athlete, so you're, you're doing well in the classroom. You're doing well in the golf course. I know you have the skill set, but so do a lot of other players that make the jump and they don't find that same success. A lot of them struggle that freshman year. How did you kind of kind of hit the ground running so to speak i think a huge thing for me so the first the first summer i had between junior golf and college golf um it was kind of that covid summer but thankfully there was a ton of amateur events that still um still put up an event i played the sunny hannah that year north south southern western usam and i had that summer probably what I would call a pretty rough summer. I didn't finish very well in any of those events. Um, And that was, you know, I played the U.S. Amateur the summer before, but that was kind of my really big introduction to amateur golf um, from junior golf. And I've always said, I feel like, you know, in the big junior events, you know, the junior invitationals, the AJGA invitationals, U.S. Junior, there was always like, 20 guys in the field that could realistically win the tournament out of maybe say like 80. But when you get to amateur golf and college golf, pretty much anybody who's playing in the tournament has a realistic chance to win it. Um, So that was, I think a really important thing for me to realize was, you know, if I finished T38 or whatever I did in the Southern am that summer, you know, that's probably equivalent to like a top five or 10 in a big junior event just because the field's so much deeper and the players are older than me now. And, um, and I had a hard time adjusting to that during that summer and fall, um, going into my freshman year. Um, uh, my girlfriend played a huge role in helping me to understand that it was going to take time and that, you know, when I'm focused and when I'm playing my best golf, I can compete with these high level amateurs. But, um, 
when I had a less than ideal week, it might be a lower finish than it was in, in a junior event. Um, so I really had to lean on, lean on my faith and my work ethic to, to trust that even if the results aren't coming right away, I'm still getting better. And as I get older, I'm going to start playing better golf and having better results. And thankfully I had, I had a really good Jones cup right before my first freshman college golf tournament started. I had a really good Jones cup to kind of get myself back to the feeling of having a top 10 finish, top 15 finish. And, um, and then kind of hit the ground running with the college season. And, um, coach Mosley did a great job putting me in a position to succeed. He, he just kept, kept making me feel confident in myself before we got that first tournament started. And I went out and, um, had a really good week and then realizing after that first week that I think I finished fourth in my first one. So I realized that, you know, when I play well, I can compete, um, on the college level and had a really good freshman year and, um, kind of carried it into the sophomore year I just finished. So it's been, it's been really good, but there's definitely, like you said, a big adjustment there. And, um, and yeah, a lot to, a lot to learn, um, as you transition from junior to amateur golf. And I, and you can feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't, I don't think you consider yourself as a bomber. I mean, the prototypical, I guess, college golfer right now is like six foot two, six foot three, super lanky, launches it super high in the air and then will try and find it and then hack it on. And, and if the putter's hot, then yeah, they can, they can shoot some super low scores, but watching you play, I kind of see more of a methodical, uh, approach and you, you know you're not you're not hitting shots that are um, I mean I don't see you overpowering golf courses to the point no. of like taking lines that are absurd so you know your game you knew it before you got to college golf did you feel the need to change anything and chase distance to say okay well now I'm playing with the with the big guys here I, I got to figure out a way to you know keep up with them has that ever entered your mind or you know, do you stick with your guns and how, how do you approach this, this world of amateur and collegiate golf that's largely based on distance? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both of those things. Um, I've had a lot of success in junior golf growing up with the fairways and greens kind of approach. And um, I knew that, you know, there's guys on the PGA Tour that don't hit it that far that kind of live off that fairway and green approach like a Webb Simpson or... Um, Ricky Fowler and guys like that. So I knew that that, that, that's still a high quality recipe to have, to have success. But I did realize, um, kind of like you said, I'm not a bomber by any means, but compared to where I was, where I am right now, compared to where I was entering my freshman year, I've definitely climbed the ladder a little bit in the, the distance department and, um, kind of the fall of my freshman year. And over that winter, I really put a, an emphasis on picking up some speed and I've um tried to do that really since then and I and I think I'm getting a little bit closer to the middle of the pack sure distance wise but I don't think I'm ever going to be one of the longer guys um but yeah I do think you know I needed to add a little bit of speed while keeping it accurate because that's that's like the most important mo of my game is hitting it in the fairway and keeping it in play so as I added speed, I really wanted to make sure that I was keeping it straight. And, um, thankfully I've been able to pick up, I think 
I think I'm up about six or seven miles an hour since fall of my freshman year and, and I'm hitting a very similar percentage of fairways. So it's been a good experiment so far. And, um, I'm going to try to add a little bit more speed, um, as I get closer to turning pro, but, um, but I'm pretty happy where I'm at right now. I think it's great that you kind of have your, you know, you know what your strengths are being consistent and just putting yourself on the greens as often as possible. Cause once your putter gets going, then it's, it's a, you definitely have the ability of going pretty damn low, but also recognizing that at some point, um, a little extra speed, a little extra distance will help. Um, mm-hmm. so I've seen you at, you know, you mentioned Jones cup and you know, I'm, I've seen you at Merido. I've seen you on really tough golf courses um, succeed, uh, you know, whether it's the, the brutal cold of a Jones cup, whether it's the impossible, uh, greens of, of a Merido. Um, I I've seen you at, at very difficult tests. And then also you've done some things where when the weather is good and the putter's rolling, you go super deep, like you did at Southern Am in 21, setting a scoring record old Waverly of 20 under par. I, I, I mean, I guess that both scenarios fit your game, but do you kind of like the tough grinding tournaments over just the birdie fest or have you, or do you even have a preference? Um, I definitely like golf tournaments where even pars are really good score better okay. than, better than ones where you got to shoot 15, 20 under. Okay. And is that just because it kind of brings everyone to the same playing field or like how, how do you, I mean, there has to be a way where, or has to be a time when you're really kind of diving into that and saying, okay, I like this. I, you know, you know what the weather is going to be like at a Jones cup. Are you checking the forecast saying, oh yeah, we need it colder. Oh yeah. We need it to blow more. (laughs) Uh, yeah. Um, I've always said it's more fun for me when, and I have, I feel like I have a better chance to win most of the time when, like I said, even par is a really good score because it puts such a huge emphasis on hitting the ball in play and keeping it, you know, below the hole sometimes and missing it in the right spots and making a bunch of pars. And those are things that I feel like I typically do pretty well. And, um, and I also think when you get, you know, a tournament like the Jones cup, there's 80, 90 players, but with the conditions, the way they usually are, it it turns into 40 really quick because guys get, guys get flustered really quick, make huge numbers and then just mentally or sometimes out of the tournament. Um, and I've kind of developed over the last few years, a little bit of a increasingly of a grinder mentality. Like I'm going to keep fighting and get the bogeys back and make a bunch of pars and put myself in position. And, um, yeah, the Jones cup this year, I was really actually excited for that final round. It was like 45, what was it blowing? 20 a little bit of rain i mean it was it wasn't it didn't feel good out there but it felt really good to make a par and i i like when that's the case but it is a lot of fun too to have those tournaments where you can make eight or nine birdies in a round um like the southern last summer but i I think if i had to pick one i would definitely rather have a really hard you know u.s open type of setup yeah i um i definitely remember um Jones Cup this past year. Definitely remember that last day. Um, I, I don't think, other than the players and the caddies and just a couple rules officials that were kind of hiding in the trees trying to stay warm, 
I don't think I remember too many other people out there. And I definitely had a few moments where I was like, what am I doing out here? Like, why, <laughs> why am I here? Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, the collection of, uh, the apparel choices, there's this great photo I have of you and your caddy, Jake Congerity, who's caddying for you. Um, he's wearing, there's a lot going on with it with him. I mean, you, you looked like a golfer. You, you actually had, had, had a, you know, a cold weather golf outfit on. I feel that Jake went to the Salvation Army and said, yeah, I'll just take everything. Thanks. Just put it in a bag. And he just wore it all on the golf course. I mean, is that fair? That's fair. He had quite the, quite the get up going that day. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot going on. So, so let's actually continue on this path with Jake. He caddied for you at the U S open sectional at Springfield and you guys get in, um, the pictures I saw of you two, I think he thought he did it himself, uh, because it looked like he was celebrating more than you were. <laughs> but, um, the one th cool thing I saw about this qualifier is, you know, qualifiers are, you know, they're not exactly uh, highly attended by fans and friends and family. I mean, it's just a yeah. necessary uh, evil of getting into whether it's a U.S. Open, you know, a Corn Ferry event, you know, state ams. I mean, it's it's not exactly the most exciting thing because really all you're winning is an opportunity to go play in a, in a tournament. So, uh, but you had a lot of people out there with you. We'll talk about the actual U.S. Open at Brookline, but I definitely don't want to skip past this qualifier. That had to be one of the most incredible days of your life, just seeing the effect that it had on people around you. Yeah, it was so cool. Um, my dad was there. Uh, my mom had to work that day, so she couldn't make it. But my girlfriend, Emily, was able to come for the morning round. She had to work in the afternoon, and then her boss told her she was good to go, so she came back for the last nine holes. Nice. Um, and, and then, you know, I had, I had some future teammates, families there. I think my future teammate, Joe Wilson had finished his round. So his, all of his people that were there to watch him came and watched me finish. Um, uh, there were some like local members and stuff following my group. Uh, it, it was really cool. Um, I, I kind of had some nerves get me coming down the stretch, uh, just cause like, you know, Qualifying for USAM's nerve-wracking and coming down the stretch in a big amateur tournament definitely gets the nerves going, but I don't think I've ever been in under as much pressure as I was coming down the stretch to qualify for the US Open just because it's like a dream I've had my whole life pretty much. And, you know, now I got four holes left and I need to play them in like two over and I'm going to the US Open. So it's just kind of a hard, hard thing to wrap your mind around in the moment and Thankfully, I was able to make about a four-footer for par to certify my spot. And I remember, I remember making the putt and looking over at Jake and doing a little, just a little fist pump kind of to myself and him. And then I gave him a big hug just because it's it's something that we've, you know, since he started caddying for me in like 2018, we've talked about getting to a U.S. Open, getting to a Masters, getting to a major, and that goal that we talked about, we had it had finally, you know, come to, come to fruition. And, uh, and yeah, it was really cool to have my dad there and Emily there. And that was just those, that 45 minutes or so from the last screen to getting my, you know, little card that says you've earned your place in the U S open. Yeah. Um, that, that 45 minutes or an hour was 
some of the most enjoy enjoying moments I've ever had in the game of golf for sure. I'm guessing that car doesn't get thrown into the glove box of the rental car or the, the that, that that you kind of save that a little bit, right? I'll keep that baby for a while. There you go. There you <laughs> go. So um, you mentioned you trying to hold it together, you know, just kind of get into the house the last four holes, and obviously you do that. Uh, was was Jake any use at that moment whatsoever, or you were just trying not to talk to him because he's probably just as excited and nervous as you are? Was he any help whatsoever? Yeah, yeah. I thought. I mean, we actually, although I made two bogeys the last four, we talked about every shot. We you know, picked good lines. We picked good numbers. One of the bogeys I made, I hit a really good wedge shot, but I had so much adrenaline that I just juiced it over the green and made a bogey. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I could tell though, you know, no, that was number eight, which was my second to last hole where I made that bogey. Right. And we, we stand on nine T and we, kn- we pretty much knew we needed a par. I think, I think by the end of it, a bogey would have still got me in, but it sure seemed at the moment like we needed a par. And I remember like, I could just tell that Jake was like shook up. (laughs) Like I could just tell that he was just as nervous or more than I was. And I mean, thank God I was able to make a a three on that last part three, but it was, yeah, I mean, we were both, we were both like shaken pretty much. And he was you know, I, I was just so happy to see him like after I'd finished and I'd made it, 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 that was like the happiest I've ever seen Jake. And that was, that was really cool to be able to share that with him and, um, and for both of us to get to have that experience together was really, really cool. It's one of those things that people don't realize all these great stories of amateurs, uh, or, or young, you know, early or not young early, but, uh, amateurs or really new pros, you know, you know, whether they're on mini tours or corn fair or whatever that get through and qualify, most of the time the caddy is just as inexperienced as the player. And the caddy's just as much of a mess as the player is at that moment. I mean, it's really just two guys just trying to hold it together. It's not like you have this, you know, professional caddy with 25 years experience that's been there, done that. Um, yeah. So you you get to go to Brookline, um, you know, two solid rounds, but they still it leaves you outside the cut line. But really, the the experience that it gives you is, I'm sure you're still kind of riding the waves of that. But it's yeah. been a little bit of while. It's been a it's been a while since the U.S. Open. Um, when you look back at it, and I'm sure there's tons and tons of really cool memories of, of practice rounds. And then, uh, you know, there's just all these things with your family and friends and just, it's, it's a life, it's a life memory. But yeah. when you look back at it, what do you take out of it as far as the level of your game right now compared to not going to necessarily compare it to, to Matt Fitzpatrick, the guy who ended up with the trophy, but when you yeah. saw what was out there and you saw what you brought to the table and where, what level you're at right now, do you think you're close? Do you think you're still have things to work on? Is it just that you didn't have your game that week? Um, where do you kind of see yourself as far as timeline of, okay, here's, here's how far I am away from, from being successful with the best players in the world. I felt pretty good about where my game was at when I left that week. Um, I obviously missed the cut by a few shots, but I think Jake would agree to this, that, I did not have my putter with me that week. And, you know, if I had had just a solid couple of days with, with the putter, I think, I think I would have made the cut. 
um, or been really, really close to it. Um, but yeah, I felt like, you know, I, people have asked me like, what, what's the big difference between those guys and yourself? And I always say like, they're, it seems like their poor rounds are just a few shots better than amateur golfers poor rounds okay but but good rounds i feel like you know i feel like if i had lit it up one of those days at brookline i could have shot three four five under and just like just like scotty scheffler and matt fitzpatrick sure, and, sure. and those guys did so i think the gap is more just a little bit in what does a bad round look like in a u.s open is it a 76 or is it a 72 and i think that's the big difference but um and and in terms of you know, like you said, I'm I'm not a bomber, but I felt like I held my own distance wise with some of the guys that I played with that week. And um, Tita Green, I felt like I was pretty close. And and I just noticed that those guys, their bad putting week is a little bit better than my bad putting week. And um, since then, I've spent a lot of time working on the putter. So I'm hoping that um, the rest of this summer and going forward that um, I can have some better putting rounds. But um, and then like the one thing that I've wanted to add to my game since I was at the U S open, I got to play a practice round with Scotty Scheffler, which was really, really awesome. But I, I watched him hit some shots and he, and I noticed that he has a really high and soft long iron shot. Okay. And that's a really hard one for me to add. Cause I'm more of a low spin, low ball flight kind of guy. And, um, that's, that's kind of a shot I've been trying to add to my game since I've been there. So but other than that, I feel like as I just keep getting better a little bit in every aspect, I think I'm really close. And if I remember right, I, I, I kind of remember watching, I think maybe it was, you know, um, some of the Golf Channel coverage of that practice round. I, I did see you there with, with uh, Scheffler. And I think I remember him saying that, you know, this is what the pros did for me when I, you know, when I came out as, as a youngster. Uh, I believe he's a former U.S. junior amateur champion. So, yeah. um, you know, they he had that experience with, with some of the older guys, you know, showing him around. Um, so it sounds like he's kind of paying it back, doing for you and other younger amateurs uh, what, what was done for him. So learning that shot, but also I'm guessing watching him navigate a practice round and navigate huge crowds and yeah. deal with the fact that he's the number one number one player in the world. Um, were any other takeaways that you had from him or things that he said to you that resonated where you're like, oh yeah, I, I, I can do this. It's just that I'm, I'm, I'm still young. I watched him a little bit in the practice round. I noticed he spent a lot of time on and around the greens. He didn't hit a ton of extra tee shots or extra approach shots, but he spent a ton of time hitting pitches, chips, bunker shots, and he hit a ton of putts on every green. Um, and I think that's one thing I could take away, just knowing that obviously he thinks that the short game and putting is the biggest part of a of a big championship like that. Um, so that's good. To, that's good to know because that's kind of what I think too about it. And. But yeah, it was really, really awesome to play with him. Um, one funny story I had playing with him was, so I, the practice round group that day was me, Scotty, uh, Travis Vick, and Austin Greaser. So Scotty's playing a practice round with three amateurs, and we're walking to one of the tees, and he was kind of talking to all of us, and he's like, man, they got me babysitting today. I need to do, <laughs> I need to do a better job playing in my practice round groups, just kind of messing around. <laughs> That's awesome. 
So it was, it was pretty cool. He's, he's such a down to earth guy and it was really awesome to, to get to play with him. I look up to him a lot as a man and as a golfer. So to get to play with him in a practice round in my first U S open was really sweet. And I think you guys probably could have shared some horror stories from Merido too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got a few of those. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, who doesn't, I mean, that place, that play, that place, uh, turn makes a man out of you. I mean, it's, that place is, uh, I, I love it. I don't know. I still, I, well, I do too. I, I don't have to play it. I could just watch you guys just pull your hair out. So for me, it's, it's a, uh, it's comedy, but, um, uh, you mentioned, we, we talked about the fact that you're young and I, uh, and we've, uh, I've, you know, uh, it's, we're, we're a few minutes into this episode. I haven't addressed the elephant in the room. Um, you have looked, uh, 15 years old, probably for quite some time now. And I'm guessing when you're playing at a U.S. open, with fans, especially in the Boston area. I know you're a Boston uh, Celtics fan, but I know that just being in the Boston area, um, I'm guessing the gallery was not shy about perhaps asking, are you lost? Can we call your parents? I mean, did anything happen that way where someone's yelling out, um, hey, this is not the U.S. junior? Please tell me there's some sort of a story. Um, Nothing quite that extreme, but oh, I definitely – I definitely had, there were several instances that week where people were asking me how old I was from the crowd. And I just kept had, kept having to say I'm 20, but some of them had some weird looks on their face when I said I'm 20, because I guess apparently you're right. I guess I don't look 20, but I would have just said I'm uh, 12, but that's just, just to see, just to really just mess with them. But that's just me. I should have, that would have been fun, but yeah, it was, it was cool being one of the younger guys there and, um, I think the fans, the fans liked that. So it was yeah. cool. Um, another interesting thing about your, your U S open is you're paired with MJ Duffy and also he had a familiar face on the back for him. So he had coach Dismuke from Houston who you see all yeah. the time with the Valspar. So that had to have been a little bit of a, I mean, obviously he's not on your bag, but he's, it's gotta be nice to have a kind of a, a comfortable face in the group for two days. Yeah, it was cool. Um, yeah, I don't know Coach Dismuke that well, but I I have shook his hand a couple of times at the yeah. Valspar. So to see somebody else in our, you know, there's only six of us out there, three guys, three caddies, but to see somebody else besides Jake and I that I knew, um, it definitely made me feel a little bit more comfortable. Now MJ had a had a you know great uh, start and obviously one of the most notable shots I think of the entire. Uh, championship other than maybe Fitzpatrick out of the bunker on 18 was uh, Duffy hitting a shot out of the grandstands. I think that was in the first or the second round. Um, well, it had to be in the first, second round, but you, you, where were you when that happened? Cause I just remember like everything shut down on golf channel at that time. And it was just like, okay, we're, we have like seven cameras set up and it's just like, that was like the shot of the day it seemed. And there was, uh, you don't see that at a U.S. Open very much. You see that at, I think, I can't remember the tournament, but I, it seemed like Phil was hitting a wedge shot off of a grandstand like every year at the same golf tournament for like two or three years in a row. Um, yeah. So what? Um, where were you when that was happening? So I was about 50, 60 yards away in the fairway. But Of, cor of course you were because you actually you hit fairways. So. I think I actually hit in the rough that hole, but I was walking to my layup in the fairway. Oh, okay, okay. But, uh, so yeah, MJ was playing awesome. I think he was, like, leading the tournament yeah. through, through, like, 27 holes. And he hits that wayward tee ball on 
14 there and there's grandstands down the whole left side thousands of people over there and i mean i was pretty impressed that they that his ball ended up where it was because it was actually in a spot where he it looked like he had a little bit of a shot if he wanted to do it and i was just thinking okay he's just gonna hit an iron out and then try and get it on the green and make par and we jake and i look over and he's got a three wood in his hand <laughs> and it and he's just completely lined with people i mean i would have been worried i was gonna take somebody's head off right. if i was out where he's at and he stands over this three wood out of the grandstand, and it sounded so good when he hit it. And the crowd just went nuts as soon as he hit it. And Jake and I are looking at each other, and Jake goes, "This guy don't give a f- when the U.S. Open." <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, he hit a sweet shot out of there. He almost got he got it like green high. I think he ended up making either par or bogey. But that shot was, I mean, that took some serious serious stones to hit that shot i was pretty impressed yeah the replay of that was just exactly what you said hits hits his three with it and it took so long for him to hit the shot and then they they had a camera uh, down the line and you're exactly right i mean this thing it's one of those things that wow this looks really cool and also this could have been awful this (laughs) this could have been an absolute disaster yeah i mean like if if he gets scared that he's gonna yeah chunk it or something and he tops it into somebody i mean that could have been really bad i mean topping it is probably the best case scenario i was thinking of just healing into someone's shoulder or something so yeah that (laughs) that that was the that was the nightmare situation um (laughs) what's the best piece of swag you took out of brookline i mean i know that when you're at player registration there are there are or, or being in player dining or being just, I mean, all the, the perks of being playing in a major, were there even some things that you got to do or got to keep or experience that you're like, okay, this is a little bit overboard. This is ridiculous. Yeah, they did. The USGA did something really cool. They did. They sent like a, I don't know, like a 12 by 16 or 12 by 20, like, framed picture of number 10 at Brookline, which is probably the most scenic hole. They sent a picture of that that said like, congratulations on making it to your first U S open. So they, they sent one of those to all the first time guys. So that was probably, probably the coolest thing I got to keep from there. Um, but yeah, like you said, player services, player dining, that was, that was a whole nother level. I mean, the USAM, they treat you awesome there, but this was, I mean, food and drinks for me and four of my guests of choice and unlimited, you know, open bar for all of them. And I mean, it was, it was incredible. I was super blown away by it. So it's, and I had, I was able to have so many friends and family come out there and we were able to kind of mix the passes around and everybody got to see what the player hospitality area was like. So it was, it was really awesome. That, that's very cool. Um, I remember seeing you at the Northeast, and um, and I remember one thing you said to me that you were just you were just exhausted. Um, you said that by the end of either you said that to me or we were texting back and forth, but you just were kind of saying like, "Yeah, I'm I'm beat." Yeah, and, and I guess that's probably another takeaway. But but probably, how do you not just completely? get exhausted playing in your first major and getting that great experience. But 
I guess that's another learning lesson of, or another lesson to, to learn that once you get to that level and you're playing professionally, I mean, a lot of those guys were coming from a, an event the week before. And then a lot of them were playing in a tournament right after that. Yeah. Yeah, it was, I was definitely, I was beat. I was really tired and it's, you know, I only got to play two tournament rounds, yeah. but you know, I played a practice round on Sunday and Monday, full 18 holes. Then I played nine Tuesday and Wednesday and, you know, you're at the U S open. So you feel obligated to stay there like almost all day because you want to soak it in. You want to practice, you want to yeah. hit balls on range in front of the crowd. You want to get prepared as best you can for the tournament. And I just, I spent a ton of time there. I don't regret that at all because I got to soak up that experience and it was really cool. But yeah, like you said, that's going to be, I mean, hopefully, you know, if I reach what I'm trying to reach, then that's going to be, there's going to be times where I have to do that for four weeks in a row, five weeks in a row. Yeah. So uh, it was definitely a good experience and helped me to understand what might be ahead. Well, I'll get you out of here on this one. I know you have, uh, you know, prep for, like we talked about Western. I know Western is, is going to be a grueling week. I know you had a lot of success last year. And then we, obviously the U S amateur at Ridgewood is coming up. I've played Ridgewood and Arcola. Um, you will be uh, in good shape if you hit fairway, sir. That's all I can tell <laughs> you. Um, the rough is, is not fun. Um, but, uh, but let's talk. We talked about Jake, your, your your caddy, but he is not the only person that's been on your bag this summer. Uh, girlfriend Emily was on the bag at the Southern Am. So so let's. How is that dynamic when you have the girlfriend on the bag? This is not pro- probably she's not uh, the, the trusted resource uh, as as Jake is, and she's probably dressing a lot better than Jake is uh, than, than from what I've seen. Um, how much fun is that? And um, Sound well. Now you mentioned that she she kind of was a, a real driving force in kind of getting you used to playing collegiate golf. Uh, how is she uh, when she when she's looping for you? It's it's a lot of fun. She caddied for me the first time. She just um, last summer, I think it was. She rode around the cart with me in the Stark County Amateur and kind of just got the pin and cleaned my ball and stuff like that. But then her first real rodeo caddying for me was at the Patriot last winter. And we had a lot of fun. She she did a really good job at keeping it keeping me focused and and not letting me get too upset when something doesn't go my way. Because I mean, she's not she's not shy to just say basically get your head out of your ass. Nice. Um, <laughs> so it's it's really good to have her there for that. Um, and as she's caddied a little bit more, she caddied the Patriot, and then um, she caddied the Southern Am. Um, a couple of weeks ago, she's, she's starting to learn a little bit more. I taught her what green is and grass on the greens and she's starting to learn a little bit about that. And, um, she's helping me read some putts now and helping me make some club decisions when I'm in between too, because she's, she's seen me play enough golf. She knows sometimes it's better if I swing at something or if I take a little bit off of a certain shot. Um, so she's learning a lot and, um, but yeah, I think the most important and, and best best quality of having her out there caddying for me is the mental side of it. She doesn't let me get too much down on myself more than, you know, a couple a couple shots here or there. So that's really big and it's definitely a different dynamic than having Jake on the bag. Um <laughs> you know, I'll I'll talk through I'll talk through pretty much every shot 
greenery, pretty much everything. Jake and I go through it just because we've played so much golf together and he's caddied for me so much now that we just completely trust each other and that stuff. Um, but Emily's she's making her progress and, and learning about that. And I think, you know, hopefully in the future, whenever Jake decides he wants a week off or needs a week off, then maybe Emily will be there. Uh, ready to caddy for me so that'll be a lot of fun but you definitely got the the dress part right she does a lot better job dressing on the course than jake does well next year's jones cup has actually been moved up i'm not sure if you're aware of it but it's going to be very it's going to be earlier it's going to be in january so uh, yeah going to be a little bit colder i i mean i'm excited to see how you play but now at near the top of the list is i, I want to see what kind of a uh, you know, I want to see what kind of an outfit Jake brings to see to to uh, to Ocean Forest because, I mean, is he going to go just like full like winter homeless or is there like, I mean, wh- what do you think he's going to bring? I mean, there's nothing else he could do that's going to be more impressive than last year, is there? I don't know. Maybe if he shows up in like a parka and a scarf or something, okay. then that might that might trump the the look from last year. But I mean, I don't blame him. It was so cold that day. Oh yeah, of course. I, I, I don't blame him. I wore a hoodie on the golf course for like the first time in my life. And yeah, it was, I don't blame him for, for wearing that, but it did look pretty interesting. (laughs) Max was great catching up. I know we've been trying to do this for quite some time. Um, I will be seeing you at the Western Am and um, best of luck the rest of the summer. And when you return to Ohio state, glad you stopped by the back of the range. Enjoy the rest of your summer. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad we could finally get down and chat a little bit. And there you have it. Thanks so much to Max Moldovan for joining me on this episode here at the Back of the Range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the new merch collection from Imperial Sports. Everything is available at thebackoftherange.com. And we'll see you next time here at the Back of the Range.